Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Oh, welcome in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo along with Bob Wankel. And Bob, you know, it was a great week, Bob. It was a roller coaster of emotions for us in, in so many ways. You know, the week started with the hiring of Charlie Manuel. It went through with a sweep of the Chicago Cubs that ended with a walk-off grand slam by Bryce Harper that was viewed on social media, maybe on YouTube, by you know 1.6 million people. I probably watched it 1.2 million times myself. <laughs> and then you thought, okay, maybe they can win five in a row for the first time all year. And no, they lose two straight to the Padres, and we're right back to where we were a week ago. Bob, what's it been like for you? I'll tell you what, it's it's very on-brand for us, right? People are reaching out on Twitter after the, the Cubs series. You guys need to record right now. Something good's happening. Don't wait till Monday. You know what's going to go down. You know it's going to end up being negative. And here we are after what looked like a great week, and it's just another show with Anthony and Bob, and, and we're talking about the things that went wrong with the Phillies. It, it was a tough weekend. It, all's not lost, though. I think if we would have ended our show last week and said, hey, listen, 4-2 and two homestand, you would say that's not bad against a, a first-place Cubs team and, uh, you know, a San Diego team that's been okay this year. O- okay? You're probably right because we would if they would, let's just say they would have went 2-1 and one against both of them. Yeah. We'd probably go, eh, yeah, feel yeah, good about pretty it. Pretty good. Pretty good, but the fact that it, they win four in a row and then they lose two in a row, it makes it seem worse. Because now you know what I did. I'm, I'm driving in today. I, I swear this is this is this is what happens when you lose two in a row. I'm driving here into the studio, and I'm thinking back to Thursday when they won the, the game against the Cubs uh, on Harper's Grand Slam, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, you know, if you Darvish just doesn't pull himself out after 92 pitches and pitches another inning, that game probably doesn't. The Phillies don't probably don't have that comeback. If the Cubs had any semblance of a defense, if Javi Baez isn't sick and David Bode is not playing shortstop, or if they have a real second baseman instead of Ian Happ playing at second base, one of those plays probably gets made and Harper doesn't hit the grand slam. And then it's really a, a bad you know, homestand because it's a 500 homestand. That's what's going through my head. But I guarantee you, if it was 2-1 and one and 2-1, and one, I'm probably not thinking that negatively. And, and that's, the, that's what the, this Phillies team has done to our psyche collectively. Well, I think the the biggest problem is after this weekend, it's you're expecting that run. You think, hey, they're going to go on a run. They're going to go on a run. And like you said, this was an opportunity to win five straight games for the first time all season, right? And it just it hasn't materialized. And you you expect the reason for it not to materialize to be an inconsistent starting rotation. But then it was the offense, which everybody was excited about after they hired Charlie Manuel uh, in the beginning of the week. It was the offense that let them down again. And, and to prove that point, they averaged 8.67 runs per game during the first three games with Charlie Manuel on the bench. They hit 337 as a team. And, and I think that everybody understands that you might be riding a little bit of momentum. There's just some good vibes. It's not that Charlie Manuel fixed everybody's swing. No. 
in 24 hours. And in fact, I really don't think that Charlie Manuel is going to have that much of an impact on swing mechanics between now and the end of the season. I think that it's just simply way too late for that. I think it's just a different voice, maybe offering some advice tweaks here and there. But Charlie Manuel is not going to fundamentally change anything. And, you know, to think otherwise is foolish. With that said... They have these three games, completely electric, huge win on Thursday night, and if it ever felt like there was going to be a time for the Phillies to make a monster run, it was going to be right now. And then they crap out after Friday night. They hit 156, the final two games of the series against San Diego. They scored only five runs, and it looked like a very familiar product. And I think that's what's most disheartening about the way that this homestand played out. Four and two, solid, uh, a lot to feel good about, quite frankly, especially when you consider how poorly they played out West, I thought it was a stabilizing week that at least gives the Phillies a chance to kind of catch their breaths and not let this thing get too far away from them as, as we head into September, but it could have been a a whole lot more. Well, and not only that is that the Phillies put themselves in a position, Bob, where they don't really have wiggle room. They, they, they've kind of put themselves in a spot where they can't afford to lose a series to a sub-500 team. They have a very difficult finish to their schedule when you look at what they have left. And this is kind of the easier part of it, but it gets it gets really hard yeah, in September. a lot September. of games on the road in yeah, September. A lot of division games. September's and... tough, right? So you, you really can't – look, I'm not saying you have to win every game, but you do have to win a series against a sub-500 team if you want to make the playoffs. And so that – you sit there saying, well, yeah, there was a lot of good this week. There was. There was a ton of good. You know, there it was it was a it was a, it was a great atmosphere. I was down there, Charlie's first game again, and then it was the uh, Cole Hamill's game. Uh, that was a great atmosphere down there. Obviously, the Harper Grand Slam was awesome. Winning the first game against the Padres, you could feel like this vibe, like just it was it was fun to be in the ballpark again. And then you just stop hitting, and it just just like the air comes out of the balloon that quick, just because you stopped hitting. And it, and I don't know if there's an absolute solution to that. I don't think that there's anything that Charlie Manuel, Gabe Kapler, the Phillies, I don't think there's anything that they could do. I think this team is what it is at this point, and you just got to cross your fingers and hope that you get more of the good than you get of the bad. And if you're looking for something positive to, to kind of latch on to here, I would say that it starts with JT Real Muto. He, he's a guy that – and he's been solid all season long. It, it's not like he's um, been totally underwhelming. It's not like his offensive numbers have been bad. Uh, necessarily, certainly from a defensive aspect, he's been outstanding. But now you're starting to really see him get hot. Mm-hmm. And he looks more like what we imagined that he would look like when he was acquired, uh, you know, just before spring training. And if you look at his numbers in August now, 339 batting average, slugging 710, 1.110 OPS. That's something that you say, okay, you know, maybe we can kind of maybe there's a reason to believe that he's finally heating up. Not that he's going to, to keep that pace up, but that he's he's really kind of turned the corner and he's finding it. When you look now what Bryce Harper's done in recent days, clutch hits, big hits, he is now starting to look more like the player that we had imagined. And, and I think when it's all said and done, you're going to look up at his stat line at the end of the year, and you're going to see an OPS in the high 800s. You're probably going to see somewhere between 33 to 36 home runs. RBIs. Whoa, are, whoa. Real Muto? Oh, no. Now I'm on to Bryce Harper. Oh, yeah, okay. No, yeah. uh, I was no. going to say, yeah, no. Yeah, that's Harper, yes. Bryce Harper, yeah. 33, yes. 36 yeah, home runs, fair. 115 RBIs, 110 walks. I mean, all of a sudden, that stat line looks pretty impressive. So if if Harper and Real Muto are doing this, then I think that there's a reason to believe 
that the Phillies can remain competitive despite an inconsistent rotation, despite an inconsistent bullpen as we play into September. But, and this is a big but, for most of this season, you could argue that Reese Hoskins was this team's most consistent and maybe best offensive player. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. We talked about him a little bit last week with the increased launch angle. And and Matt Breen actually wrote a story about him today. And he mentioned the increased launch angle, uh, the the contact, a lot of lazy fly balls, fly ball rates up. And we're going to talk to Matt uh, at 520 uh, about that. He has been a... He's been a mess, and he's been a mess really since the All-Star break, and he's been especially bad here in August, and I can't construct any path to the postseason for the Phillies unless he turns it around. Yeah. I mean, I, it, Hoskins is the is the linchpin. He is the keystone at this point with this offense because, like you said, you point out the guys who are doing well in Harper and Real Muto, and even, even like a guy like Segura has kind of um, rebounded. Know, rebounded a bit here, right? Uh, so there's there's that. So that's a good thing. That's a good sign. But yeah, Hoskins needs to be Reese. He needs to be that that player that he was all season, all the first half of the season that he was last year, that he was his rookie year when he came up. He needs to be that productive run producer. You know, and I hear Gabe always talk about you know doubles and home runs. He's going to get the doubles and home runs. I just want to see him get hits. They don't need to be doubles and home runs at this point. When you're in this kind of a slump and when you're hitting as poorly as he's hitting. Like you need it to be, you need it. To, you just need something. You need some kind of productivity. So yeah, if doubles and home runs, that would be fantastic, Reese. But I, just get on base. Like when he got a hit against Cole Hamels leading off that game, and he ran down the first baseline, kind of threw his hands up in the air, like finally, I finally got this hit. Like that. It, that's the kind of stuff he needs to keep going. That doesn't mean that you know. Oh, he came close to hitting a home run. It was about two inches away from going over the wall. I get it, but that doesn't help you. Just get on, get the hits, get the get, get the feel of getting on base back. Don't keep trying to do too much. And I think that that's when we talked to Matt about you know his story and, and about Reese Hoskins. I think ultimately that's what we're looking at here as a guy that's trying to do too much all at once. And just to give you some numbers for context here, he's played 17 games in the month of August. He's hitting 105 this month with a, a 193 slugging percentage and a 471 OPS and. Uh, actually, if you look at it, let's just go through the numbers here. His first 102 games this season, he had 263 with a 922 OPS. He was 0 for 4 yesterday. He's in the middle of an 8 for 73 stretch. <laughs> His batting average is down to 237. The OPS is down to 854. Now, after the game, uh, you know, he expressed frustration with, with how he's hit lately and, and how he's performed lately. Uh, I'll read a, a comment by Gabe Kapler here. And, you know, I know there was a lot of focus on what Gabe said post-game yesterday. I know the fans like to fixate on that, and this is something that we will certainly talk about in depth. I had a chance to talk to Gabe today, actually, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, here's what uh, he had to say, though. Uh, I thought Reese's at-bats today were great, and I'm feeling pretty protective of him right now because I know how hard he's working. I know how much effort and time he's putting in, and I think the at-bat uh, quality remains strong even though at the, uh, at the end the results aren't there. And I know how disappointed he is in it, and I'm disappointed for him because I know this is going to turn around for him. I guess what the Phillies are relying on is the fact that he's still drawing walks. He's still working uh, pretty pretty productive at-bats in the sense that he sees a lot of pitches. That's something that this team really prioritizes and is important to them. And so that being said, with his track record, 
it's reasonable to assume that he will bounce back, but we are now talking about a, a 30, 35 game stretch here where it, he's, he's really given this team nothing. I, I don't want to sound, <laughs> I don't want to sound like the guy who's going to criticize that, that take or like, you know, I'm being protective of him. I, I get it. I know Reese Hoskins is working his, his tail off. I understand that he's in there in the batting cage trying to figure it out, I, you know, that he's got a decent approach at the plate. I get it. I understand that. that that's fine. That's a certainly a, a, a decent enough explanation if your team is still rebuilding, not in contention, working its way to getting to where it needs to go. This Phillies team's in contention. They're competing for a playoff spot. That that oh they're trying. Give them give them a break. They're they're working hard. That doesn't fly. It just doesn't fly at this time of year. I'm sorry. If this was April, May, yeah, okay. I'm still not happy about it, but okay. You still have three months to kind of get yourself four months to get yourself worked out. Uh-uh. There's 35 games left this season or whatever, however many games are left. Um, this is this is the time you, you got to perform, and there's no other, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so something has to happen. Yeah, you know what? If Reese is not performing, move him down in the lineup, take him out of the lineup, whatever you got to do. Well, so let's talk about that real quick. So when you imagine the Phillies in in the postseason, and Reese Hoskins comes up a couple seasons ago, and you see this just absolutely electric September that he has mm-hmm. in late August that he has when he comes up, and you picture the Phillies return to the postseason. I picture Reese Hoskins big with part of huge it. hits yep. and meaningful moments and being at the center of it. Yep. And there is still time for that to happen. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at it and say, well, I know he's going to get out of it, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, from what I observe on a daily basis, I think that Reese Hoskins cares a lot. I think mm-hmm. that he is certainly trying. Yep. I, I do think that even though sometimes the result isn't there, that he does put together productive at-bats or, or quality at-bats or to even borrow a term from Gabe, grind through at-bats. He works pitches. He works pitchers. Um, but that being said, you know, the production does have to come at some point. Now, yesterday in the eighth inning, and you know how it is in baseball, sometimes when you're not going well, the luck kind of plays into this a little bit. And there have been plenty of weak fly balls that he's hit, and he's had plenty of poor at-bats in this stretch. But yesterday he comes up in the eighth inning down a run, and he hits a rocket uh, out to dead center field that's caught right at the base of the fence at the highest point of the fence. And you look at it, and if you believe in stat cast and you, you want to look at the metrics there, a 520 expected batting average actually on that hit. And so, yes, <laughs> I mean, numerically that is bad luck, though. Nobody wants to hear it because he's in a 70-plus at-bat stretch in which he really hasn't gotten it done. And if he was even hitting, I don't know, 250 with a 700 OPS right now over his last three, four weeks. The Phillies probably have an extra two or three wins mixed in there. And maybe the narrative of how this thing has gone over the last couple of weeks is a little bit different. It's a, it's, it's a little bit of a shame for Reese that this is happening the, when it's happening and with the team being in a situation that it's in. Because if the Phillies were the Atlanta Braves right now and Reese Hoskins was having this struggle, we talk about it, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the focus of our attention because they would be a first place team. There'd be a lot of good things going on about the t- you know around the team. Okay, Reese is struggling, but he'll he'll figure it out. It won't it won't be a spotlight on him, and then he can kind of work his way out of it, kind of in in uh, almost anonymously, right? But when you've 
already had your collapse to the point that you were no longer in a playoff spot and you are now chasing teams to make the playoffs, everything is magnified. Okay? Everything is more important. Every at bat is going to be, you know, scrutinized and broken down with with more efficiency and more regularity. And that puts greater pressure on the player to to perform. No matter how you slice it, that puts greater pressure on a player to perform. So there's no doubt about it. Reese Hoskins is working his tail off. He's trying to be the hitter that he once was. He's trying to get out of this horrible slump. And we are all sitting there watching intently going, is this going to be it, Reese? You going to do it now? No? Why are you not doing it, Reese? And that, tell me as a human being, that pressure is tough, man. That's just how oh, it that's is. That's very real pressure. Yeah. And it's, it's something that he really hasn't dealt with. I mean, if you want to call whatever the end of last season was, I, I, I don't. That wasn't a pennant race. That wasn't no. that was not a team that was jockeying for playoff position. This, this is, is the first time that a, a city is intently looking at how this team is playing down the stretch, where there are still and I know there's not a, a ton of juice about the twenty nineteen Phillies. I know that the city doesn't necessarily believe that they're about to make a run or make the postseason, but people are watching and there is some expectation that they they have a shot, that there's a reasonable chance that maybe they could get in. So this is this is not native to him. This is new. I mean, this is something that he's dealing with for mm-hmm. the first time. And, you know, I, I would think that when you look at how he works at bats and you look at the track record that he's had, there has to be some reasonable expectation that he will emerge from this. That's my thought. And a lot of people have, have tweeted at me uh, and said, hey, is it possible that he's just not very good? Nah, Maybe he's nah. just this 240 hitter and he strikes out too much. And I, I truly don't think that. I think it's a guy that has some talent that's a good player, maybe not a superstar player, but a, a solid player, certainly above-average player that's just going through a hell of a stretch. And that's my view on it. And I think you're right. And it might he might not get out of it until 2020. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, yeah. he might not. And, and, and that'll be a shame. But, it, it, you know, we have to accept that as, as a possibility. I'm going to make a comparison to Bryce Harper, for example. Now, Bryce, on the other hand, you know, when the pressure is on, Seems to perform. I, I I don't know how much of a we've never really discussed this you and I personally, but I don't know how much of a guy you you are in believing in clutch. Being I do a, a clutch performer. I do. Okay, yeah. you do. I'm okay. a numbers guy, but I believe in that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, th- like there are people who can p- perform better. They they can handle pressure yes. better than others, Absolutely. and so therefore they are. But be- so you look at Bryce Harper's number, and I think um, Fangraphs actually has this. But if you really compare. Bryce Harper in high leverage situations versus what he would do in normal or lower level uh, leverage situations. His his statistics measure out better than anyone else in Major League Baseball, and it's not even close. Like he's he the number two guy is so far and away behind Bryce as far as productivity in high leverage situations. Okay, there's a guy. Now, granted, he's been around for a while. He's faced this adversity before. He's a guy who's had rough stretches of a season. He's also a guy that's had close, who's been closely scrutinized since the time he was 16 years old. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. so, so he's he he can kind of handle that pressure a little bit differently than maybe Reese Hoskins can. And Reese is not going to sweat it publicly. He's going to put on the good poker face, and he's not going to show that it's bothering him. But you have to wonder. As a you know, human being to human being, this has to be bothering him. And, and h- how he's responding to it 
could be is what could be what is affecting him at this point. We'll have to ask Matt Breen that after the break, Bob, because I know he'll he'll be coming up. Matt Breen of the Inquirer, Inquirer.com, will be joining us here on uh, Crossed Up after the break, and uh, we'll talk more about Reese Hoskins and the Phillies. Gabe Kapler's on tap for us to talk about. 20 minutes into this thing, and we haven't really gotten to Gabe yet. We haven't yet. gotten yeah. to Gabe yet, and that's okay. We can't always you know, you know, have to talk about Gabe. Uh, but uh, but there's a lot to talk about Gabe this week as well. Uh, but we, if you're going to join us here on the program, you can give us a call at 888-728-9941. That's 888-728-9941. We are Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day. The men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. And we are back on Crossed Up here on 610 ESPN Radio. And uh, our producer, Ryan Lennox, is in the other studio. And, you know, Ryan, if this was uh, the old show that I used to do with Rob Motti right here, okay, we would have had to have a much longer break than that. And you know why? You know why? Tell us. Tell everybody why. Why would we have had to have a longer break? Bob doesn't know this because you know, Bob's relatively new to the 610 family. But how, why would we have had to have a longer break? We had to go on a long break because your reality star friend Rob Motti would have to go to the bathroom on every break. <laughs> A lot of nervous energy. It was unbelievable. It would literally, we would sit here and be like, I, I can't talk. We got I got to go to the bathroom. And he'd be out there, and, and we'd be bringing the show back. We would be bringing the Rob Motti show back without Rob Motti. Like, I would have to bring the show back, and he'd come running in. Like, oh, oh man. And then last year, or two years ago, the, the bathroom right outside in the hallway, Bob, wasn't open. They were doing some work in it, so we had to go upstairs to use the bathroom. So it was even longer. Missed like a whole 10 minutes. So Ryan would have to load up commercial after commercial after commercial. But uh, thankfully, you know, you and I have much stronger bladders. And so we could come back to the air a little bit faster. And uh, thankfully, now we can go to the phones. And uh, we have with us from the Inquirer, inquirer Inquirer.com, Phillies beat writer, Matt Breen. Matt, thanks for joining us here, bud. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? What's up, Matt? What's going on, man? What's up, Bob? So, uh, you know, you're down there all week, and, uh, you know, obviously it was a disappointing finish to the weekend. You step back from this today. How do you assess what played out over the past week? Do you feel more optimistic about the Phillies right now, or are you about where you were a week ago? Probably, you know, the same spot I was a week ago, less so where, you know, you were during that four-game stretch. Because at the end of the day, they lost two or three to a, you know, a San Diego Padres team that if you're a team with playoff aspirations, it's, it's what you can't, you can't do that. You can't lose at home two or three. And then, and the way you lost just by your offense, which is supposed to carry you into October going completely silent. So I, the optimism that was felt with the Harper grand slam and all that, I, I feel like that 
really washed away just by the way that this homestand ended. So now, I guess let me think about how I want to ask this. There's been a lot made today, and uh, I'm sure that you're aware of it. You're on Twitter. I'm sure that you've heard some of the, the talk radio today. A lot has been made about what Gabe had to say post-game yesterday, and, and we were both sitting in there, and he, uh, I, I guess he said that he was proud of the grind in the bats yesterday after they had only four hits. Um, you know, fans seem to fixate on what he says post-game and, and how he handles uh, his news conferences at times. What did you make of that? Like when, when you hear him say that, do you say, well, that's a manager that's just simply defending his players and it really doesn't do him any good uh, to, to go beyond that? Or do you look at that or do you hear that and say, you know, he's he's got to give a little bit more than that? Well, I mean, it's, it's he has a job to do. And, and the way he sees his job is that he is the outward face of the team. And that, and that post-game press conference is – more or less the television show it's, a, it's going live on the airwaves as he's talking and his chance that opening two-minute monologue is his chance to talk straight to the cameras no interruptions and usually that's things after a loss especially last year this year it's been a little bit more scaled back but last year it was things like that that he would call up like a you know if they lost he would call up that maybe you know the, how they worked at long at bats like i said yesterday or a guy that got on, got a walk late in the game and kept a rally alive, or, or maybe somebody that pitched the eighth inning out of the bullpen, even out of the bullpen, even though the team lost. It's things like that, and it's really like semantics. Like, um, it, it's obvious. It's I don't blame people for being upset about it, but at the end of the day, I mean, who cares what he said for two minutes after the loss? I don't think he really went home last night and was happy that they saw a lot of pitches against the San Diego Padres. I'm sure he was just as angry as the rest of the fan base was that they lost to a three. And I, I, I think it's interesting. Oh, sorry, Anthony, I'll, I'll let you go in one second. I think it's interesting. They had, they had four hits yesterday, right? And it's not like they had four hits because Gabe Kapler said what he said post game. Like, I, I feel like it's kind of interesting that the city, the fan base, and, and maybe even some of us in media wise, we, we kind of fixate on what he says and not really so much what the actual problems are. Yeah. And that's why I said, I, said to him yesterday and said you know I understand you saw a lot of pitches but at the end of the day you only got four hits and you know how much of that's the concern is that how inconsistent this offense can be and they can score seven and a half runs a game with Charlie Emanuel in the first four games but then as quick as they do that they can like you said get four hits and, and two of them came from the same player so I think it's more focus on what Gabe Kapler is doing with the offense with the team than what he's saying to a group of media members after a loss. But there's more to it than that, Matt, from my perspective. And and I, I, I'm not of the, uh, of the mindset that I need fire and brimstone out of the manager when the team's not going well. I, I, don't, I don't need him to go crazy, right? But I do – I mean, if he is going to be the uh, voice of the team for the public, then as a member of the public, I have to expect some kind of fair assessment – and it doesn't have to be individual. It doesn't have to be, oh, you know, Reese is really struggling. He needs to get better. Or, uh, you know, th- you know, this this pitch was the, a terrible pitch by Nick Pavetta. Or, or Zach Eflin needs a man up and throw more than three innings. Or, you know, I, I, it doesn't have to be that specific. But what it could be is it could be something a little bit more along the lines of 
hey, listen, this is not the way we're supposed to be hitting as a team. It's it's a it, it's a it, it played bad, especially after winning four in a row. We needed to be better, and we weren't. This needs to be fixed. We're in a playoff race. Blah blah blah. You could do it that way and still get the same message out of positivity in the process of the things that you're saying, and not t- you know take anybody down, and at the same time appease the public who are putting the pressure. I mean, because when you think about it, right, I mean, we we're just talking about pressure before the, the pressure is on. And a lot of it is because of how much of a microscope there is in this city. So wouldn't diffusing some of that pressure, even if it meant taking an overall stance against the team uh, a little bit, wouldn't that be a better way to go than to than to just throw out nonsense like that to the public? Yeah, I'm, I'm not agreeing with, you know, the way he handles it. I mean, just just saying why, like, you know, why he said that. Okay, fair. And, of course, I don't think, like, if I was a manager of the Phillies, I, don't, I wouldn't be ca- talking about how many pitches they they saw. In all honesty, when I was walking down, I wasn't even aware of how many pitches they saw because it didn't play into the game. It had nothing to do with the final result. It wasn't why they won or lost the game because of the pitches they saw. But these are the things that, for whatever reason, he clings to to use that two-minute thing, two minute monologue, the opening of his statement to, to kind of spin the game and the way he said it. I don't think it's right to do that, and I think fans have a right to be upset with it. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's because of the way he manages is, is more important than how he handles a press conference. You're, you're, right, you're right about that. And, and um, getting away from the specifics of what he says and really starting to look at – what's going on with this team. I know you wrote a nice story today about what's ailing Reese Hoskins. Why don't you go into that a little bit? Because, you know, we were on the show last week and talking a little, a little bit about Reese and his uh, and, and how his launch angle has changed this year. It's it's actually gone up. And that's why I think, you know, or Bob and I were, were suggesting a week ago that that's why we're seeing more pop-ups or more lazy fly balls. But uh, you dove into it a lot more than we did. We kind of just pulled it up, you know, out of our <laughs> – out of our back pocket for, you know, five minutes last week on the show, you really did a deep dive into it. So, you know, let our listeners know what, what it is that you came up with about Reese. Yeah. It's kind of incredible that his, how high his launch angle is the highest in baseball. And then mirrors with a, one of the, the, with the highest fly ball rate in baseball since the all-star break, which is when he fell into this awful slump. It's not, you know, it's not a one week slump or two week. It's really ever since the all-star break, He's, he hasn't been the same hitter that he was in the first half. And it's because he's he's using this high – this launch angle has gotten, you know, almost out of control. His contact is weak. So it's not – he's not hitting deep fly balls or hard hit fly balls. It's like one of the – it's like an average out of 300 batters or something. He's got about the 150th hard hit rate since the all-star break. So his, his hard hit rate's low, but his contact rate's up, his fly ball rate's up. Yeah, I think it's what and his, his infield fly ball rate, right, which is what you were saying, popping ball straight in the air, is the highest in baseball. It was the uh, seventh, twelfth highest in baseball. So you're you're just seeing a guy that to me was almost crippled with this new approach that John Maley was teaching to keep the ball in the air, to em- emphasize on on a um, uppercut swing. And that's not who Reese Hoskins was coming through the minor leagues. It's not who he was when he first got to the Phillies in 2017. But it's who they molded him into being. And really, the, the rest of the lineup molded into. And I think that's it's taken away his power. That the 
his power was not a guy that didn't try to hit for power. He was just a really good hitter who had natural strength and power and ended up hitting home runs. He wasn't trying to hit home runs in the minor leagues or when he first got to the majors with an uppercut swing. And that's what is happening. And it's just, it just seems like it's getting worse. And, and what amazes me about it, Matt, is so he comes up and let's even say that 2017 was an outlier. Maybe that's not what he is, but the average launch angle in 17 was 18.4. And you had to look at him and say, wow, he, he knows how to work counts. Like you said, the, the, Power was tremendous. Uh, he was ultra productive. And even if you go into the stat cast numbers a little bit deeper, uh, expected slugging percentage, 558, expected batting average, 253. And then last year, they dip a little bit. It goes from 558 expected slugging down to 463. And the launch angle increased by about four degrees. This year, it's up another two and a half degrees. So you're talking about, and this doesn't just happen by accident, like you said, you're talking about a drastic increase in average launch angle. It, it's, it kind of strikes me as weird, though. If, if I'm the Phillies and I see what Reese Hoskins was in the minor leagues and I see what he was in 2017, why would I want to mess with that? You know, if I say this is what he does and he's he's so ultra productive, why would I want to fundamentally make such a what I would call a, a fairly drastic change to his swing mechanics? It's a great question. And it brings me back to what uh, Charlie Manuel said when he first got hired last week that he's not going to coach the Charlie Manuel style of hitting. He's going to coach what everything's individualized to each player. And that, that's what he's, he, he stresses when he coaches hitting. He doesn't just, it's not a one size fits all formula. And where I think it was for the, with John Maley, that it was not that he didn't individualize his, his coaching, but it, it was everybody hit the ball in the air and everyone's going to have this uppercut swing. And that's how we're going to get there. And that's how we're going to hit home runs and hit for extra bases. But some guys just, that's not how they swing, and that's not how, how they're best. Scott Kingery, he used it last year, had an awful year, and then this year he said, you know what, I'm going back to how I my approach and my swing that I had in the minor leagues, I had in college. It got me to where I'm at, and, you know, he had a really good first half. I know he's towed off this, you know, in the second half, but the early results are at least encouraging. So the Phillies last and week – oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Just that, that, like, the Hopkins, like you said, his approach, he's, he's still taking pitches, he's still walking. He says everything about that is the same as 2017, but the big difference is the uppercut swing. Yeah, so the Phillies said last week that really their organizational-wide hitting philosophy is not all that different than Charlie Manuel's and that it's just really – uh, more semantic differences or uh, the verbiage is a little bit different. Okay. Um, one, do you believe that? And, and two, I guess, do you think that the Phillies are, and I know they said that they are kind of giving him full reign. Do you think that the Phillies are saying, go ahead, Charlie, do what you do? Or is he working under, in your opinion, maybe some certain, uh, you know, restrictions? Um, I, I'm sure there's, you know, everything builds off each other. So if you scaled back the organizational hitting philosophy, at its core, it's similar to what Charlie Manuel was teaching in, in the 90s and the 2000, early 2000s. But I don't think they're the exact same thing. I'm sure they're, you know, really drastically different. But at their core, they have some some things in common. And I think what his role is is to be a figure in the in the dugout and bat in the batting cage early in the afternoon to be a positive influence on these on these hitters and to you know to offer advice here and there. But really, they're not going to pitch their way in the playoffs. They're going to have to hit their way there. And what they're doing is just scaling back all the overload of analytical information that's given to these hitters. 
and they're just going to let the talent play for six weeks, see if it works. It might not over a course of a season. It's probably not the best way to do it. But for six weeks, you have the talent in that room to carry you into the playoffs if they hit. So it's really just freeing Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and Reese Hoskins from all this information that I think, you know, was almost too much. And now they're going to go out for six weeks and, and just hit with Charlie Manuel just, you know, there as support. Do you get a sense, Matt, in this past week uh, from talking to the players that that freeing that of, of the information overload is a welcome thing? For some guys, I think it definitely is. Um, Bryce Harper hates information. Like, I mean, not hates information, but hates all that over information. He wants here and there stuff, but he doesn't need pages of scouting reports or tons of information. He's just a field guy. He goes out and, and lets his talent take over. Reese Hoskins, I remember when they hired Gabe Kapler, he said that he doesn't really dig into analytics too much or he, he likes to stay away from information, but then he said uh, when John Maley got fired that, that he, he enjoyed or he liked all that information that he was getting from John Maley. So it just it seemed like it was, you know, maybe the Reese Hoskins before these guys arrived, he didn't like information, then he did like information, and now he's going to play for six weeks with, if he wants it, he can have it, but it's not going to be forced on him. So we'll see how he stands at the end of the season. But I think these guys, are, they're, they're freed from w- w- this approach that, that did not work. So now it's it's their approach to see if it works for the final six weeks. They'll have a new hitting coach next season who will come in with a different approach, and we'll see if that works. But we'll see if this works for the, for the final six weeks. All right, so before uh, we let you get out of here, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, I personally hate when I get asked it. Uh, so um, how do you see this thing unfolding? They, do- um, I think they'll stay – like you mean the whole the rest yeah, of the season? Yeah, right? the next six weeks. Uh, you know, how does this thing finish out? I think they stay in it. I think they do not make the playoffs. Um, I think the hitting the hitting's there. I just don't think it, it will click all at the same time like it needs to. And the pitching is just so um, shorthanded that it, you know can't overcome that. And I think they finish a couple games out of the wild card. They're in it till the final. 10 days of the season and then that's that's when it when it all ends and and just to follow up on that matt what happens as a result if they don't make the playoffs what's is there a big change with this organization there could be that's what's going to be interesting it's it's if they don't make the playoffs i mean nobody is safe if they make the playoffs then then there's, that's jobs jobs it's a, it's a security but if not i think you know everything's on the table i don't know if it's as easy as saying they make the playoffs games back if they miss the playoffs games out, but uh, it definitely could be along those lines, and it's going to be going to make the offseason interesting if they don't make the playoffs. Well, we're looking forward to the offseason regardless. I can tell you that. Right, Bob and I have yeah. already been I've already been looking forward to it. We're like, oh, when, when does October get here? We're not that <laughs> far away. Hey, Matt, really appreciate you hopping on the program with us today. Uh, keep up the great work at theinquireinquire.com. We'll keep reading you every day. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, you got Matt. it. Matt Breen from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And he has some great things to say there, Bob, really. You know, and, and yeah, he's he's understanding of, of where – I mean, he's not, you know, yeah. pull punch or let you know. I mean, he's going to let you know. No, one of the things I'll say about Matt is uh, he's very fair. Um, he doesn't take cheap shots. Nope. But, uh, you know, I think he's pretty realistic. He does, I mean, he's, he's one of the best there is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When we come back from the break uh, in the last segment, we really got to dive into – 
Gabe. Yeah, I had a conversation with Gabe today. Yeah, actually. I want I want yeah. to talk about your conversation. I want to talk about a story you wrote earlier in the week. I want to talk about a bunch of things about the manager because uh, just you know, I, I know I know that you you and the manager are kind of you know kind of close, getting there at least. Uh, kind of I wouldn't coming, say we're close. We're getting I becoming a little say, bit buddy buddy. I that's would all right. Just say that I I think that good. Gabe takes a lot of crap unfairly in and, this city. And that's, that's all okay. I'll say. And that's okay. You know what? It's good to have that relationship as a guy who's a beat writer in, in, in pro sports for a while, I'll tell you that it's good to have those relationships. So that, that's fine. I, I just don't always agree with everything he tells you. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and shoot shoot some holes in it. All right. We'll do that when we come I'll be back. Ready for it. We're here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step, a developmental milestone. But for too many parents... A baby's first steps aren't just a milestone, they're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together. Our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? And welcome back to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 Sports ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo and Bob Wankel here. And, Bob, you know what the funny thing is? You know, the week, this past week was so busy for the Phillies that since the last time we recorded and we were on the air, they, they fired the hitting coach, hired Charlie Manuel. We haven't even talked. We didn't talk about that at all. Like that, it just complete. It got so blown. Man. Then you had the heart, you the sweep of the Cubs, the Harper Grand Slam. It, it doesn't really matter. No, but it was like, just, we didn't even get into it. Like yeah. it didn't even happen. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it was like ho hum because so many other things happened after that. That it was almost like a uh, you know it, it's old such old news at this point. It's crazy. It's crazy. But the one guy who continues to feed us in for, you know, good storylines and good story angles is the manager of the team. And Gabe, uh, so Gabe, 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 my boy Gabe, you did a story, you talked to him a little bit uh, earlier in the week last week about lineup construction. And I forget what game it was. Was it the, was it the, was it the first game of the yeah, I believe Cubs it was, series? Uh, the Wednesday, uh, prior to the Wednesday prior game. Prior to the, the Wednesday Cubs game, series. okay, okay. So they put a lineup out. And look, they scored. I mean, they scored what eleven runs a game. I, I can't kill it, right? I mean, they, it worked. But it, at the at, at its genesis, when you look at that lineup at three o'clock that afternoon, it was like, what the hell are you doing, Gabe? You had, you know, it was it was all over the place. It was what was it? Hoskins, Real Muto, two Harper, three Segura, four. I don't understand Gene Segura as a cleanup hitter. Um, I think it was uh, Kingery five, Roman Quinn six. And he was playing well, and now he's hurt again. We didn't even get to talk about that. It's I mean, a shame, too. He's really he playing really well. He was really playing well. Um, then it was Cesar, and then uh, who the hell was hitting eighth? 
in that game. Hazley, I don't even know. Was he in the lineup? Could think, have been. I don't I know. I think it was Hazley. Uh, whatever. But anyway, the, the lineup was just kind of all over the place. And I was beside myself. Like, you know, here we are in, in playing a critical series against the Cubs. And this is what we're this is what we're trying out. We're gonna treat we're gonna try a new lineup out. Well, you can, you talked to Gabe and you wrote a story and you kind of came up with an explanation, or at least Gabe gave you. You did great work. I'm not criticizing you, <laughs> but Gabe gave uh, you an explanation. Why don't you tell everybody the explanation that he gave you about lineup construction and really what goes into it? Yeah, so I mean, the whole reason that I asked the question was because you had Reese in the leadoff, and he's in, been in the middle of this as we spent time talking about earlier. He's been in a really difficult stretch, and I said, so, you know, you're going back with Reese again, and, and the reason that they did this was they felt that he works counts, he still has very good on-base skills. As bad as he's been this month, he's still drawing walks. He's still working counts. And so the idea behind hitting Reese Hoskins leadoff, which I understand when people say, Reese Hoskins hitting leadoff? What, what the hell is that? Why? Totally understand it. But the Phillies' philosophy in this spot is, okay, he's struggling right now. What do we want a leadoff hitter to do? We want him to get on base. We want them to see pitches. And that is a strength of Reese's. So they felt maybe we can kind of relax him, get him to do what he does best, not focus so much on driving and runs, driving the baseball, but let him kind of use his natural abilities and his natural approach at the plate at the top of the order. And I think that that's a, a reasonable answer. I understand that he is a power bat. I think ideally the Phillies, if you look at the number of lineups they've trotted out throughout the course of the year, I think that the Phillies would like him to be in the middle of the order. But to kind of try to get a guy going, I, I don't really have an issue with what Gabe did with Reese. That would be, you know, we'll start there. So I had asked him, what happens if he heats up, though? You know, then what happens? Do you leave him there because he's getting comfortable? Or do you say, now that he's hot, let's slot him back to where he probably should be, which is, you know, 3-4 in your order. And basically, you know, he said that every day is, is its own entity. Um, it depends on the day's starting pitcher. Uh, he talked about an example where they had moved Bryce um, out west into the leadoff spot, but they had Hazley hitting eighth. And then that kind of allowed opponents to stack lefty relievers through the bottom of the order, go eight, maybe a pinch hitter nine because they have a left-handed heavy bench, and then leave that lefty reliever in for Bryce at the top of the order. So they felt that wasn't an optimal lineup construction. And so then that's kind of how they got to Reese now in the leadoff. So all of this is to say that, in short, Kapler's answer to this was basically we go day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. um, we have to take in the, in, into consideration each player's individual psyche, what they're going to be able to do, mm -hmm. their ability to buy into it, uh, and understand what's going on. That was sort of his explanation in a, in a nutshell. You asked great questions, and I should love Gabe's answers because he's long-winded like I tend to be. Okay, <laughs> so I should love his answers. Even my summary of his answer. Even, was his summary, even yeah. summary of his like yeah. you only gave us a, a synopsis yeah. of what he said, right? Okay, and I'm going to say to you, and you also somewhere else in that story talked about how the Phillies have used fewer lineups this year. Yeah, the second least amount in the National League. They used 138 different batting order combinations last season, which is which is crazy, uh, but. When when I did the story, I ran it on Friday. They were up to 74 different lineup combinations, which is actually the second lowest amount in the National League. And if you look at some of the top teams, the top run-scoring teams in the NL, the Dodgers 101, Rockies 102, mm -hmm. Diamondbacks 92, Nats 85, Cubs 109, only the Braves have used less batting order combinations this season than the Phillies. Doesn't I mean, that just in inherently contradict exactly what he just said to you? 
Oh, I, I mean, because I, if, if we're looking at every day as its own unique entity, and you're facing a different pitcher every day, and you got to figure out the best you know construction, how things are going, whatever. Okay, fine. Then how come you don't have more? And I will throw this at you, the same same thing. At the beginning of the season, when things were going great for this Phillies team in April, and we're like, oh man, this team's going to smoke everybody. They're going to just hit, 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 hit. That lineup was the same every day. It didn't change, with the exception of Real Muto would need a rest, and Andrew Knapp came in. Okay, that lineup was exactly the same. Every didn't matter who the pitcher was, left hand, right hand. It none of that, none of this stuff mattered because they were going good. So if that's the case, why then tell you now when things are not going good that we need to tinker, 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 tinker? Well, okay. So let's start with the the second question, and it's certainly a, a valid question. My thing, I, I guess, and I guess really the Phillies thing here is. And one of the other writers in the room had asked Gabe that. They said, you know, I don't remember Charlie's teams really doing that. Um, you know, it was it was Jimmy up top, chasing the three, Ryan in the four, and that's the way it was. But the numbers didn't really bear that out either. And, and later in the story, you can see it. Like the 2010 Phillies used 94 different batting orders. 2011 Phillies used 105. And obviously, acquiring players throughout the course of the season can inflate those right, numbers exactly. naturally as well just for the record. But I think what Gabe was saying in that situation, and it kind of plays back into how the lineups were constructed early in the year, if you have top performers, elite-level hitters, and those hitters in sequence work together because you have a natural one, you have a natural two, you have a guy that, that rakes in the four spot, you don't have to do quite as much tinkering. And so I think that that's why we didn't see a lot of those different lineup combinations early in the season because I think that Gabe, after last year, and mixing and matching almost a different batting order every single game, said, you know, there could be something to having some stability in the lineup. And he had what I think he thought was a prototypical lineup early on in the year. Now, and it was good. It was a good lineup. Right. I and, gave him credit for it. And, um, you know, the other – the other component to that was that the lineup was producing then, you know, in March, at the end of March and into April. There was production. So if it's not broke, don't fix it necessarily. Now, in light of what we've seen and, and the way things were playing out into the middle of last week, and I haven't checked the numbers now, but, you know, you're talking about a team that, as of last week, was like 22nd in OPS, bottom third in the league in slugging, bottom third in the league in batting average. And so I think when the results aren't there, then you have to deviate a little bit. And so now that's why he was so stable early in the year, and now you're you're a little bit more inclined to probably make changes now. I think he's been unstable since McCutcheon got hurt. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, and I don't think that Andrew McCutcheon getting hurt should wreck an offense. I agree with you. you know? That's what I was going to say. And I will say that. I don't want to yes. come across like I like Gabe. I, I think that he takes uh, unnecessary flack sometimes. I think that this team's shortcomings sort of get dumped on him because it's the easy thing to default to. Just like I think that people don't fully understand what analytics are. Like Analytics to me has become this umbrella term that people simply throw around because they don't understand what's going on. It's, well, you know, Gabe Kapler analytics. Ask, ask the Houston Astros how analytics are working out for them. Ask the Tampa Bay Rays, who take marginal player after marginal player, apply analytics to to those players and turn them into well above league average players. The, the people in this city have to get over analytics and they have to get over the idea that analytics are bad. And, and they also have to stop using the word when sometimes what we're talking about isn't even really analytics. It's not analytically driven. Just a little side rant. That's, that's fine. You're, you're not wrong. 
You're absolutely no, not wrong. You're not wrong. But you got. But my point is, is that he he responds to adversity by becoming a mad scientist. Is I, what he's I doing that's becoming what a mad scientist? Like, what is he doing right now? That's that's mad scientist. So the, they so against the Cubs, they won each game, and each game they had a different. They went ahead and put a different lineup together. Now it worked. Don't get me wrong; it worked. But if the offense is clicking. Why change it? You just made that point earlier. If it was working and you had it at the beginning of the season, why change it? Okay? So if you have an offense that's hitting three whatever they were hitting and averaging eight runs a game, why the next game is there a different line? I mean, I get Roman Quinn got hurt. Fine. Okay, whatever. But it, if from that oh, point – yeah, that wasn't even until the weekend. That actually, wasn't until the yeah. weekend, right. But, I mean, that's it still is the, the whole tinker thing. And I think that the players – we've had this well, argument I, I before. Honestly, and to be fair, I don't know what the lineup differences were. Do you have them in front of you? Because I don't. To, okay, I'd have to pull one them One thing up I will say, and, and I feel bad, I actually asked the question about Roman Quinn because he had been playing so well. Yeah. Uh, the, the night he got hurt, before the game, I asked Gabe. I said, you know, hey, Roman Quinn, like, what's going on with him? Like, where, where has this come from? Is this just confidence, reps, whatever? And Gabe says – we have to be really careful. Like as a manager, I want to play Roman every night, but I can't because we know that we have to do everything we can to try to keep him healthy. So if the if the lineup variation was simply that Roman Quinn came out no. of the game, no. th- then that's it, it changed. I mean, you had one game, you had Romuto two, Harper three. The next game, Harper was two. But you two, know Romuto that they rely so heavily upon splits, career performance, you had right? King, left. You had Kingery five, then he was six, then he was seven, and then Hernandez six or seven. Uh, Corey Dickerson's been all over the map in the lineup. I mean, so like the, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not just one little thing; it's multiple shifts in the in the order. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, so at the end of the story, actually, one of the uh, quotes that he had at the back end of it was, um, you know, he says it's it's so important because sometimes I'll find I'll take you back like several weeks. This is from Gabe. There was one point we won a game. And I had heard through the grapevine that there was a conversation coming into the dugout. There was a different lineup up, and the narrative was like, you don't change the lineup after a win. Kind of go to write what you're saying. That was something I heard from one specific guy, and I realized that's really how a lot of people feel, right? In those situations, it's really important to draw attention to the best teams in baseball over the last 20 years and how they actually do change lineups based on the opposing starting pitcher or trying to get a guy going at the top of the lineup. And so we didn't ask Gabe for the exact numbers. We didn't say which numbers were you looking at. But he's going to tell you, if you were sitting here right now, his answer to this is going to be, if you look at baseball and you look at winning teams over the last 15 to 20 years, this is what they do. Sometimes there's continuity, sometimes there's not. And and that's going to be how he describes it. I, that doesn't and, make and it right. And I'm not right. telling you that that's the sufficient answer, but what I what I and the premise of my article and the thesis of my article was, and I even say it at the end. I say right or wrong. I, I don't really know. I'm not going to sit here. I didn't do the deep dive to bear that out. I, I'm not really interested, frankly, at this point. My point is though, people say. Well, at this point, he's just closing his eyes and he's throwing darts and these lineups are just a jumbled mess and he's just you know throwing crap against the wall and seeing what sticks at this point. And I, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's anything that this manager does that isn't very, very seriously thought out. I don't want to say well thought out because I think sometimes, you know, things backfire. I can't. You want to hear where I disagree with Gabe on something? I don't understand Sean Rodriguez's existence on this roster well, right we, now. We're, okay? running, we're, we're running out of time. Right. Like, I'm, like, so I'm not going to sit that. here and tell you that everything this guy is doing is, is spot on. That would be a, a place where I disagree with Gabe. But what I, what I do think is unfair is a criticism that 
he's reckless with what he's doing or that consideration or an ample amount of consideration isn't going into his decisions. I don't believe that. No, I don't. I agree with you there. I just I don't think it's the right consideration that's going into. It. I think it's ample. I think he thinks about it and he's honest about what he believes and he stands by it. I don't. I just think he's wrong. I want you to. There was one quote you talked to Gabe today, um, and uh, I know you're going to have a great story that's going to come out tomorrow. We don't want to say anything about it. Uh, just tell everybody to check out Crossing Broad in the morning uh, for a great uh, interview with Gabe, but. Um, he did tell you one thing today, and I want you to I want you to read off one of the one of the quotes that he said to you today, and I'm going to give you a response to it because this is another thing where I think he misses the boat. Yeah. So I asked Gabe. Uh, you know, obviously there has been some criticism about what he said after the game yesterday. We talked about it with Matt Breen in the last segment, and I said, you know, do you have any specific response to people that kind of think it's insulting to come out and say we were able to grind through at bats when your team only had four hits and. He said, I've been in a lot of clubhouses and around a lot of players. I've never met one that wanted to go up and strike out. I've never met one that enjoyed failing in a big moment in front of 40,000 people. Did we succeed the last two nights? Absolutely not. However, I think it's reasonable to recognize and acknowledge the effort, the refusal to give up, and the constant grind to get better. It's something I see every day from our group. And so Gabe, I guess, is looking at this and saying, we did not get the result we wanted in the moment. Obviously, four hits isn't good, and obviously losing to the Padres is not the ideal outcome. But I see the way this team works. I see how they care. And, yeah, like I am proud of the grind. And, and he would, I think, say, so what is offensive about that? So here's the difference. Here's what he doesn't quite grasp because he's a former player. And so being a former player, he doesn't see it this way because this is, this is something that you need a thousand-foot view to kind of see. If we're in our job, okay – and we're able to get away with something and you know not at not at our most peak performance and not really get called on the carpet about it we're going to continue to do that because that's human nature human nature is to do the work that you need to do you know yes yeah, some people will go beyond over and above and beyond but if you can find a way to get by get by and not have to do it you will I mean, and, and that's just that's that's a is natural thing. Is that human thing. nature? Is, it, does that translate to sports? Though? Absolutely, see, it I, does. See, I don't know. Like in baseball and football, I kind of agree with you. If you get to the end of a, a, a six and eight season and you're playing out the string the last two weeks and you're out of the playoffs, like I get maybe not putting your helmet on somebody and going all in, but like in yesterday's game, like was culture the reason that the Phillies weren't able to produce a hit in the late innings? Is culture the reason that Reese Hoskins' fly ball didn't fly three feet further? No, Bob, is you're it, missing the point. You're missing the point. There's no. If, but what does that have unless to do with you getting have, away with anything? Unless you have pressure to do your job to the be, at its best, at the highest level, you can you can almost feel like you have more time to get it right, to get it fixed. Oh, I got time. All right, he didn't call me out on that. All right, I got time. I got time. That's what it is. That's what it is. And I'm not saying he has to be down the guy's throats every day. That would be too much. It would be too far. He just needs there is there is are there are two extremes. There's the one extreme which is a lot of fans in this city want and I think it's ridiculous. Then there's the Gabe method, which I also think is ridiculous. We need to find a middle ground. And that's what's missing and he refuses to go there. And I think if all he would have to do is just a little bit of that and you would find guys respond. I think it's it's understanding group dynamics, it's understanding uh personalities and hum, and human nature and just letting that be. And I think that that's the one thing that's missing here that would make that would make I think would make Gabe a better manager. Well, I don't want to lump a generation all together. I want to say if you're between the ages of 15 and, and 29, you only respond to one type of management. But I do think that younger generations yeah. today they don't want the 
hey, you know, I'm going to be on you. If you're not performing up to my standards, I'm going to ream you out. It's They want give and take. They want compassion. They want uh, a back and forth. And I think that people in that age range, 24, 25, 26-year-old baseball players, I think what Gabe would tell you is that, that that is going to be what they're more likely to respond to, right or wrong. Right. Well, we're going to have to continue this discussion Man. at another time, Bob, because we are we are out of time. I can't believe how quickly <laughs> this flew by. Thanks to Ryan Lennox for producing the program. Stay tuned for Reading Phillies baseball here on 610 ESPN Radio.